What are you doing there? Here for the tap, are you? Aren't we all? <laughs> ah! Well, let us just jump right into it, shall we? We have a quick little hitter today. I've been on a uh, hiatus of sorts, I guess. No reason why, but yeah, here I am. I had the time, and I'm just gonna touch on a couple things here in this episode. Not like a Catholic priest, but topics to talk about. And the very first, the very first, um, the drink of the episode is none other than some OSA Fine Spirits Clubhouse Signature Blend Scotch Whiskey that was brought to me by beloved cousin Travis, who traveled to a land known as the UK with his uh, lovely wife, Rachel. They went golfing, saw castles, just walked around London. They did all the stuff over there in, in the UK, and uh, which included bring me back this fine spirit. And I figured, what, where else but the tap would be a uh, more delightful um, place to sip upon this nice imported bevy. So without further ado, I'm going to pour it into a glass. Hey, freak show! You're going nowhere. I got you for three minutes. Three minutes of heat time. <laughs> you fucking bitch. Wow. There it is. Perfect. Look at that. A gentleman's pour. But we all know I am a gentleman. Let's see here. It smells very good. And it's in a glass that was custom made for me by my friend Claire. It says, uh, I'm not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. That is from one Jean-Luc Picard from the Starship Enterprise in the show Star Trek Next Generation. If you haven't seen it, you're sleeping. Wake up, smell the roses, watch this gem of the 90s. Hmm, skull. Here we go! Smoky, delightful, delicious. Travis, god damn it. Unbelievable. It, uh, it was like a single shot, kind of like a uh, was it, a mini fireball uh, bottle. The ones you take with you snowboarding when you're on top of the mountain. Slicing and dicing some pow-pow. You just need a quick little gluck, gluck, gluck. That's what we got here. But it is far more refined. It is actually glass. It is glass and shaped like a golf ball. Fantastic, as uh, I'm not sure which nationality or culture would say that, but I'm sure they're saying it wherever they're at. Anyways, that is delicious, and uh, I am absolutely going, and I am entitled to uh, ramble on about something I think not everyone knows. This is going to be the second uh, topic I want to touch on in this episode, and it is Dungeons and Dragons. I am not only entitled, uh, my white privilege, privilege and I are just going to ramble on about this shit because it's awesome, and anybody and everybody can play it. I don't care who you are. Dungeons and Dragons is for everybody. I've been playing a little over a year with uh, my friend Claire. She is a part owner of a farm yonder in Cape Hay. She can build things. She can grow things. She is an invaluable asset uh, in the apocalypse. So shout out to Good Humus Produce. Uh, we also have Dungeon Master David, David Sassenrath, who is married to my cousin Katie, a swell guy, ex-teacher, now into IT, and a crafty and sexy Dungeons & Dragons veteran. To be a DM, good God, you not only have to create a story, um, you have to be super creative, and you have to think on your feet because the way 
this game goes and flows. It's just whoever's participating is telling a story, and the dungeon master, you could think of them as something of uh, the narrator. And then, of course, we have uh, homie Nick. He is married to the lovely Lillian Borame, who is from the esteemed class of 2009 in Winters High School. <laughs> and, uh, man, goodness gracious, he's a UC Davis alumni. He's got a PhD in English literature and currently teaching at uh, Solono Community College, I believe. Swell guy, great beard, plays hockey, and just what a hodgepodge of individuals that have come together in this journey. And of course, you have me, Aaron, the retard of the group, but hey, everybody needs a little comic relief on every once in a while. Just a newspaper guy. I'm, I'm trying to add in some silly antics, which I, I feel like I do. And we've been going for over a year, and before people poo-poo on the D&D, it is just a fantastic way to just bond with people and just have fun. It's not your average like board game. You're not winning out the gate. You could knock out a 10-hour session if you were so inclined. We meet up, I would say, more often than most groups could possibly dream of because you have to align uh, for us four separate schedules, align them like the stars, and meet up and get the job done. Some people meet up once a month, once every couple months, or once a year, and then they talk about meeting up, and they just never do, because they just can't commit, damn it. But we do. We, we commit so hard. We commit, uh, yeah, like I said, once every two weeks, we go from house to house. It's a rotation between David, Nick, and myself, like our houses. Claire lives way out in the boonies in Cape Hay. We've been to her place once and had like a whole Sunday extravaganza with charcuterie and whatnot. But I'm just telling you guys our, um, our M.O., the way we do things. It's at somebody's house. They cook dinner. People bring bevies and beers. And I was a Cracker Jack guy bringing, like, just pouring in a bowl. Cracker Jack's a nice little sweet treat. Don't sleep on them. But as time went on, I went crazy and got some uh, wafers. I forget that some Mexican company makes these wafers. It's like a dollar fitty at Town & Country Market. And it turns out the group prefers the wafers. There's chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. And I feel like vanilla has been just the undisputed champ out of all the flavors. They're fantastic. I mean, you win every time you get them. But it's just you get to make dinner. And we usually start at 6 or 6.30 and go till about 10. But time's flying. And David, it's just so funny seeing someone truly in their element. Because he's a little more reserved funny guy nice individual but when he's dming because he's like i said out in the wild he's uh, a little more reserved but when he's dming he is doing voices he has he is the quippiest individual you could possibly think of he's he's just shooting jokes from the hip it is so goddamn funny it's fun all the ridiculous situations we get into in our group boy howdy we are time travelers we're trying to fix time we are aeon touched and the way the story goes, we've been, we've been in the Middle East, we've been in the Old West, we've been in New Zealand uh, with explorers, and where the hell are we now? We're in Ethiopia when time, it's just a time fuck up. There's dinosaurs, there's Roman soldiers, there's even Batutu, there's, David's mixing in all these historical characters, and it's just awesome. And like, they're legit. We were, or we were in the, uh, the Black Plague, we were in, I forget the city, 
But we went through and experienced Dante's Inferno. We had this like gem that we'd squeeze, kind of like berserk, have a little egg, or, and we it would teleport us from whatever situation we're in. We'd go to hell. We'd go to a different layer of hell, and just whooped that ass. And it's it's so much fun, so much fun. You're it's not just trying to fight the the bad guys or what have you. And, um, and the way say you want something to happen, the way the game mechanics work, you have that nice D twenty, the twenty sided dice. And whenever you want something to happen, say I want to shoot a bow and arrow that's at a target that's about 100 yards away, you got to roll for it. And depending on how high you roll, 20 obviously is the best possible outcome. And great things happen with 20s. You yell crit when it does happen. It's a critical roll. Or you crit fail, a one. That, for me recently, we were fighting some undead hyenas in a cave, and I rolled a one. I was just going with my rapier going to stab him and uh hello kitten and i rolled a one for my attack and i trip and fell and impaled myself on a stalagmite it was embarrassing it was terrible uh but the group prevails we all have different powers we all have different gods we worship there's different classes think of it as you're playing skyrim you're playing a nerdy video game but it's just spoken word you keep track of your stats i am a level five rogue my name is benoit lafontaine my character looks like Willem Dafoe, and he is a Native American who has a um, skull tattoo on my face because I worship Baron Samaldi. And my character is from the South. There's a lot uh, from Nolans. There's a lot of voodoo and Haitian cultural influence there. And to worship this guy, it's so much fun because I get to participate in all these hijinks, all these antics. Uh, I've defecated on burial grounds, I've pranked people, I've done really unforgivable things, even though my character is uh, chaotic good. You gotta stay true to your character of what they would do, and it's it's just fun. The, more, the deeper you get into it, the more you get out of it, of just doing voices or what your character would or wouldn't do. You gotta bring it to life, and it's just, it's so much fun. So, say the, uh, the DM is the narrator, and we are... Each character is kind of narrating their own story about what we want to do and how we want to go about whatever we come across. So David, our, our DM, it's like you're traveling here and then there's a mysterious person in the distance. What do you do? Some people might want to shoot an arrow at him right through the head. It could be a merchant looking to trade. It could be anything. It just depends on what your group want to does. And it's, I want to say it's intimidating, but that's a lot where a lot of excitement comes in is the unpredictability of what the DM has in store for you and your silly little squad. So that's a, a, a little anecdote, I guess, uh, I would like to impart before I move on to topic number three is my guy, you can totally imagine Willem Dafoe doing this. He's such a, a creepy bastard. I've done really ridiculous and wild things. And for some reason, I can't say why, but we, we killed this demon, right? And just wacky, silly little me, I go up i'm like you know what i want to amputate his his wiener cock and balls i want him so i roll survival to see how deftly i slice him and i roll high enough and i cut him off to the dismay of claire nick's kind of he goes with the flow kind of guy right doesn't care hey cut off the dicks do what you got to do bud and this meaningless you know demon dick is it the most groundbreaking of objects to behold probably not but i figured there's got to be a, a cock merchant out there somewhere i've seen game of thrones there's got to be a cock merchant somewhere the person who ends up 
partaking in the demon dick and balls is a fire ant wizard about the size of a uh, probably bigger than a, a lab and I give him the cock and balls and he brings back this this red orb this key that we needed to progress through the story about what where we're at in New Zealand and from that point on like I don't care what happens I'm cutting off dicks I'm cutting off dicks and balls when I can because who knows who's in the market who knows who's in the market so I might as well be that guy the facilitator the dictator as it were <laughs> mm. oh it burns good burns good that stuff that scotch whiskey anyways so many a dick and balls later I have uh, we're in Ethiopia Ethiopia and I've <laughs> come across uh, we, we killed this um, oh god a brontosaur some dinosaur and I have my god, cut it off but it's a big like python sized dick and somehow like I just have a satchel that just fits it all in actually David um, gave me this uh, magic hat the dick hat it's a um, get out of here Yvonne Martinez it's a dick hat that uh it's a top hat something that baron samadhi would wear and it fits infinite dicks inside of it. it's my dick hat and so i put this thing in there and i try to tort i'm trying to torture somebody like i have voodoo dolls and whatnot and i take out the the dinosaur dick and i'm trying to like smack this guy and get information out of him but i roll like a two so david's like well instead of hitting him you kind of slowly caress his face with this giant dinosaur dick <laughs> it's just uh david's down for the silly that's what i love about him but anyways, uh, we go on, and this is something t completely uncalled for, the, the the dick slaying on my end, but it's just slowly becoming a part of my character's MO, and David, uh, he gives us all tasks to perform for our gods, and Baron Samadhi wanted, there's this dr giant dragon in Ethiopia, right? And he's like, you know what, go get me that dragon dick, and we're going to make a cloak out of it, so... I'm on the warpath to get this thing done, and the main bad guy, who's the one who's fucking up all of time, he kills a dragon and it falls on this plateau. We get to the dragon by hook and crook, and I go up to cut off the dragon's uh, cock and balls. Meantime, Claire is incensed and just hates the fact that I'm doing this and vows to stop me the next time I do it. So she's rolling, she's, she's at the bottom of the plateau, I'm at the top. She comes up and she has this molten spear and she hucks it. And meanwhile, I rolled to cut it off. I didn't roll high enough to cut off the, the cock and ball, so I'm just struggling there. And she, I don't think she hits me, but she hits the, the wiener and lessens the value of it. What a jerk she is. But uh, before she can completely ruin it, making it completely useless, I whip out what's called the murderer's brand one of the magical items that i got when i poke somebody with this murderer's brand uh whoever is burnt with it whatever damage is done to me it is done to them so what i do i poke this dragon wiener and then i go crazy i pull out my holy dagger and i cut off my own cock and balls <laughs> and then david david lets it happen and then the dragon's wing falls off and i get it stuffed in my hat mission not yet accomplished but i got the the dragon wiener and balls it is oh it it felt good and the last couple times to the dismay of the group it, i've been rolling crit 20s every time i'm cutting off cock and balls I roll ones and fives. Uh, any any roll that has any sort of worth or value, 
I completely I blundered, but for this useless, well, I think it's useful because you never know what we're gonna get out out of the cock market. I roll twenty. It's just I'm on fire, except for this one time I rolled a fourteen, and my stat that helps with survival that would make me quite deft at cutting is low. But David, he's like, you know, what? you've been doing this enough. You've been rolling all these twenties. Like my skill and just cock slicing has dramatically increased, which is just fantastic the, the the game is just kind of molding and evolving there's no way you can buy a board game or any other kind of traditional game that would give so much creative autonomy to the players and the narrator the the dm uh, you, you make it what you want and that's what's so cool and unique about dungeons and dragons so i would highly recommend it but also highly recommend having somebody that knows what the hell they're doing because i would say at least half the game i'm not exactly sure how the math mechanics are working out i just try to do things within the story within my character's capabilities and my power set and usually my teammates help me along about what i need to roll and how the math works out so very good the last thing i want to touch on oh boy this book series this book series called hatchet i'm the complete non sequitur but i guess in the realm of storytelling hatchet uh this is yes a slight little book review as well this episode and it is written by Gary Paulson. There's about four books. The first one is Hatchet. It is so cool. It is a super short story. You've probably read it in elementary school. Uh, quick, probably like six to eight AR points. And for the love of God, this I just listened on audiobook, and it was narrated by this guy named Peter Coyote. Not, I know it sounds like a porn star name, but I mean the guy might have done porn before, but just this this awesome narrator and actor kind of sounds like a Kevin Costner voice just hasn't skipped a day of smoking cigarettes in some time and it, it's just so cool this this character uh, Brian Brian is going to visit his dad he lives in Canada and he needs to fly from like New York to Canada obviously and he's in this bush plane and they're going over this this vast vast forested area with a bunch of little lakes all over it. Brian's looking down and it's just kind of not written in the first person, but there's plenty of inner monologue, what he's going through, what he's feeling. And the pilot has a heart attack and they're going down and they luckily crash in a lake. And Brian, he gets, he gets effed up in that crash. He luckily gets out and his mom, who he slightly resents because she cheated on, on the dad, uh, gives him this little kind of store-bought hatchet that's like a no never mind kind of oh here's this little token of my esteem not my of her esteem but just here's a little something for the trip a little little hatchet well all the survival gear and everything that could have possibly helped brian goes down in the plane they land in the 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 lake and he swims out it's cold it's summertime well it's the water's cold but it's still summertime so he swims to shore and it's just his survival out in the wilderness by himself and immediately he's just ambushed by mosquitoes like that is the biggest enemy out the gate and he has this jacket and he's trying to put it over his head when it's not over his head his back's exposed and he's just eaten alive by these mosquitoes and the story goes on and as desperate as he is he yearns for home he wants food he's fantasizing about it but he gets mentally tougher by the second damn near he knows he can't fantasize about food and food is such a huge theme in this uh, in this story where it's it's food is everything is the quote he, he goes by food is everything because if you're 
Starving, you can't drink. Starving, you can't forage. Starving, you can't even survive. You can't run from predators. You can't do shit. And he's uh, observing all these animals that are around him. The the birds, the the wolves, the otters, everything. And uh, he gets berries. He shits his brains out. It's a lot of trial and error. <laughs> a lot of trial and error uh, that luckily doesn't cost him his life. He's some. He knows he needs to start a fire because he's freezing his ass up at night. And I, th I forget somehow, like, he throws his, his hatchet at some point, and it sparks off this certain type of rock because he finds this cave to live in, and he's able to start fire. And he's able to figure out how to facilitate his needs, whether it's food, he forages, uh, he makes a bow and arrow at some point. Super rudimentary, but he's it's like the survival instincts and the know-how is has always been within him. But as the story goes on and the challenges keep falling upon him, he just keeps getting shit on by Mother Nature, he figures it out. He adapts. He evolves instantaneously and uses this just survival instinct that he never knew was there and just kind of uses logic almost to, to figure it out in a way. He's like, all right, I need this. How can I stay mentally tough enough to get this? How can I acquire this? What do I need to make or whatever? Uh, eventually he goes out, he find he, I think the, the plane doesn't surface, but he's able to get the survival stuff, and uh, eventually, at the end of the book, a plane comes and lands on the water, and he was out there for months, luckily before winter hits, because then that would have been a whole nother can of worms, but there's some bears, he gets sprayed by a skunk at one point, that fucks him up, and it's just a, it's just him trying to survive, him trying to get back home. And uh, that the first book is just awesome. This is like a renowned series, and I couldn't recommend it enough. The second book is called Brian's Return, and he gets approached. It's like a year after. He's like 14 in the first book and not much older in the second, still in high school. And these military personnel come up to him like, hey, we are this outdoor squad. We want to learn what you learned. We want to take notes on how you survive so we can teach our our soldiers, our comrades, how to survive in the, in the forest as well and out in the wild. And he's like, it, it's not the same. Like, cause the, the guy, Derek, I believe his name was the military guy who wants to go out with Brian back out into the wild. He's like, well, we'll have the radio. We'll have a tent, whatever. And Brian's like, nah, homie, because it's not real. Like you have to truly feel that desperation. Like if there's an escape rope, we're going to pull it. We're going to pull on that. We're going to tug on it. We're going to get out of there, but it's not, not really you need to feel that fear you need to feel that that hunger and Brian got so good at it it was just second nature to him almost his primary nature to be in the wild so he agrees to go out talks to talks his mom into it he agrees to go to return out to where he was in the like the Yukon the the Canadian uh, wild so he goes out with this guy and everything is just going according to plan they get dropped off they check in once a week with the radio. That's the compromise. But essentially, all the, the comforts that you one would ordinarily go camping with, completely gone. Get them out of here. Because Brian wants to give him the real deal. And so, there's a couple of troubles out the gate. But about halfway through the book, everything is kind of a going according to plan. And Brian's like, this is too easy. Something's amiss. Something's going on. And eventually, they're, they're camping out in this cave. They have a ton of food. They're fishing. They have venison. We got everything they possibly need and lightning strikes and somehow brian's like is derek dead like derek is fucked up derek is eyes open just kind of drooling and 
uh, Brian realized he's not dead. He's just in a coma. I learned about this. Like, he kind of recalls some things from the, the real world, quote-unquote. Excuse me. Of things that happen out in the wild. He's like, oh, this is what I learned. This is what my teacher taught me way back when. And he realizes Derek's in a coma. Can't feed him. He tries to give him water. He just starts, he just starts gagging. And he's like, all right, well, I learned back in the world that in a coma like humans could live a couple days without water uh a couple days without few food and water um and he now he's on the clock he needs to find out somehow and, and the radio gets gets torched in the lightning strike too talk about a predicament so brian needs to leave he can't just let let derek die he, he's not gonna do that it does cross his mind and that was like the self-preservation aspect he does endure that quite a bit which really makes Brian it's kind of like Jesus Christ kid take it easy uh, that, that messes with him quite a bit with his psyche because he doesn't want to be that person but that is such an urge because he makes this raft and he figures out how to navigate I think he has a, a very crude map of this giant uh, grid of lakes in this wilderness he's like well if I go this direction like I'll connect here and somehow get to some kind of civilization to save Derek but only have gives himself like two days to get there three top just as long as Derek I think he waits a day not waits I mean he makes the raft and everything but a day's lost trying to in preparation he gets everything ready and he leaves a note saying if case anybody goes and looks for him uh we're going in this this path this direction and uh he reads all of Derek's notes because they're out there for a couple weeks and Derek's taking notes and Brian reads it. He feels a little bad about it, but he's reading Derek's notes. And there's uh, there's a lot of respect for, for Brian and what he does, what he can do from Derek uh, through his notes. And they're going along, and, of course, there's rapids, and it tip, the, the raft tips over at one point, but Brian figures out, and Brian is just exhausted. They're going way too slow, and he's like, if we keep up this slow pace, Derek's going to die. And he's already exhausted. His, his muscles are, are on fire. His morale's low, so low that he's like, I might die. I could just leave Derek here to just get consumed by the forest, by the wild. He's like, no, I, I can't do that. He, there's like a voice in his head telling him to leave Derek. But he's like, no, I will not do that. I will not leave this man to die. And eventually uh, he gets to this little outpost in the middle of nowhere and they're able to uh, save Derek and at the end of the book Derek gives uh, Brian he, he comes to comes back to life you don't really see it but it's just there's a, a letter and he gives Brian a canoe this dope Kevlar or just pretty advanced like canoe uh, for future travels and whatnot the third book is pretty sweet it is called Brian's Winter and it is if Brian didn't get saved before the winter time in the first book it's kind of an alternate reality and it's just him going through the winter time and it's crazy just the, the cold and just how he describes it and it's just beautiful he ends up getting really good at making bow and arrows his survival is his survival instincts uh totally ramp up and it's not this ain't summertime survival and there's just so many cool aspects of just reading the animals see observing the animals how they're surviving he sees like through looking at rabbits that their fur changes to adapt uh wolves i guess a lot of respect for wolves and how they've kind of established territories and whatnot and it's just it's so cool to hear about this kid's experience it's almost like he's a real person you know 
and he ends up fighting this moose, ends up killing it in like glorious, just last second fashion. But Brian, he, he goofs up plenty and uh, realizes just how much needs to get done. He's always getting firewood. He's always doing something. He's trying to whittle together snow moccasins. He's it, It's just so cool how circumstances bring about Brian's survival and his skills that are kind of like maybe they're covered in snow and he reveals it metaphorically of course and it, the circumstances help him discover what a badass survivor he truly is it's like he's just primal and in the fourth book uh god bless it what is it called Brian's Hunt oh and at the end of Brian's Winter he meets this family uh the Smallhorns who are outdoorsy it's this Native American family this guy and his wife and two little children are out there and Brian's like, oh my God, he's just, I haven't seen anybody in months. So it's been almost a year. I've been out here by myself and the guy's like, well, a lot of people come out here and we, I wondered when you're going to come find us. Cause a lot of people who come out here just want to be secluded. That's all they want. And okay. Where was I before Kit walked over everything and paused the recording? Damn it, Kit. Cute little shit. Uh, The small horns call Brian a plane, and he's able to get back to civilization, and yada yada. Tremendous. So the last book, because I believe there's only four books, it's called uh, Brian's Hunt. And he is just struggling to reacclimate to the world, to the, the sound of sirens, the light the light pollution in the skies in the city he just can't stand it. it's driving him nuts not being in nature so he uh there he makes a deal with his mom and he like he's seeing this really cool psychologist who truly understands like this kid needs to be back in nature needs to go back out and the agreement is he'll do all the schoolwork while he's while he's out there bring his books have all of his assignments done and he goes out, and he, his plan is to go back and chill with the Smallhorns. And he takes his time getting there. He takes his time uh, going down the going down the streams. He's like, "Why am I in a hurry? There is no hurry. There's only this nature." And he's just so good at, at fishing. And he's about to draw his bow and uh, kill a deer, but he's like, "It's only going to get wasted." He's he's always contemplating. He hates killing things, though. That's a common theme throughout this series. He's not a huge fan of just taking lives, and he's he, he no matter how many times he does, he he still feels bad, especially with uh, the deer, venison, even moose. And he's always talking about how the animals will point their heads to the east when they die. There's kind of like a spiritual meaning to that. And every time he does kill an animal, he thanks them, and it just it doesn't bring him any joy. He's not this avid hunter, and he's always, I mean, he's an avid hunter, but only for survival and he can't stand the high-powered rifles that people use or how the outdoorsy perception back in civilization it's so it's so skewed and it's not for survival it's not it's not nature it's not natural so brian uh he bow hunts and he's just he's solid he's fishing he's hunting and he's just working his way down the lakes he comes across this guy i forget his name but it's kind of like He's seeing a future version of himself, which is pretty cool. And they go on, they go along their way. And eventually, B- Brian comes across this dog. This dog that he's seen uh, the small horn, the, the dad use. Uh, it's a sled dog, but he's he's effed up. He's got a big gash on him. He's like, what the hell's going on? He's coming from the north. So 
Brian create uh, has a bond with this dog. He sews him up. The dog just lets him do it. He understands. Brian's talking to him like, please don't, don't, don't panic. Don't squirm. I'm, I'm doing this to help you. And both of them have a really great bond. And Brian goes back to the Smallhorns place and. It's a pretty effed up scene because he goes in there and he's seeing all the markings and all the telltale signs of a bear attack. And he finds the dad. He's dead. He's gashed. He goes outside, finds the mom. I can't recall if the kids died, but the, the, the dogs are all dead except for one, the one who found Brian. And you could, Brian can tell something's weird. This dog does not want to go back up north. And that's where Brian's going. And so he kind of uses his investigative skills and realizes... Because uh, the Smallhorns told him a while back they have this older daughter who goes to school in the cities, and she was supposed to be back there, and he was just kind of fantasizing about meeting her and all that. And he's like, "Well, if she escapes, she's probably down that way." And he like he takes his canoe, takes him all night, but eventually he finds her on the shoreline and gets her back. They've called a plane. She's freaked out, like her family's dead, her mom and dad are at least. And Brian knows that this is the doing of this rogue bear, and he needs to kill the shit out of this bear this is retribution this is brian's hunt and he just gets to know so much about the bear just based on its tracks and what it does or doesn't do dogs there with him and then boy howdy a final little clash is there am i gonna tell you what happens in brian's hunt hell no i've already spoiled so much but don't i mean take my word for it to go and and read these books or listen to them on audiobook uh it's so different when the narrator is going off and just kind of telling you, talking to you and telling you the story beyond just the cliff notes that I'm getting you, giving you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave, leave you with this pearl of wisdom, you see. You're going to go to your fucking library and a local fucking library. You're going to go to the librarian. You're going to say, hey, give me a fucking library card. Eh? Give him a library card. It costs you a grand total of free 99 to get this library card. Once you get the library card, you're going to go to your app store and you're going to download Libby. Libby. That's what it is. You're going to punch in your information, put in your, your library card number, and you're going to have the entirety of the, at least for me, the Yellow County uh, Library audiobook. I believe there's regular book selections in there as well, but, you know, readings for the birds, audiobooks. Let me tell you, uh, you you check them out for about 21 days, and they only have so many audio um, audio choices. Like, there's so many books, but they don't have so many copies. I thought, oh, like it's digital; I'll, they'll have an infinite amount. No, sometimes you gotta. That's the only downfall of it. It's completely free, but if people are checking them out, then you're gonna have to wait a little bit. But Hatchet was all, the entire series just available uh, right quick. Uh, I listened to all the Harry Potter books that way listen to most of red rising that way and of course all of hatchet there may be like a four hour listen you don't listen to it all at once and if you're driving or whatever turn it on it is just so good this this series and at the end of it you learn more about gary paulson and how he was an outdoorsman himself and a lot of what he experienced uh is what brian experienced he's been toe-to-toe with a bear he's uh, he didn't go down a plane crash, but something that has happened and he just kind of, this was inspired by this, this was inspired by that. Had kind of a difficult home life when he was a kid, spent a lot of time out in the wild. And there's just so much inspired by this wild outdoorsman, this Bear grills adjacent individual who just wrote this really incredible story. Um, that's just, 
don't know, inspiring. You just can't can't stop listening to it. At least at least it was like that for me. So I could not recommend Hatchet enough. That entire series. Boy howdy, boy howdy. There, I've touched on all the topics. I've not done with my my Scotch whiskey yet, but ooh, in due time. But alas, that is that is it for this episode of the Tap. I hope you all have a delightful and glorious, sexy day. Now be on with you. Be gone. Thank you for listening. Spread the good word. Subscribe to the Tap, all you rascals. I love you. Bye bye. You lose! Good day, sir!